0: The first time I've ever seen a movie, I've never seen a movie before, I've never seen a movie before, I've never seen a movie before.
1: Greetings, everyone. Thank you, and welcome to Turning a Moment into a Moment. I am your host, Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't do, innocent, and he went to prison um, for two years. And um through that journey, I met so many people, mothers, families, that also had loved ones wrongfully convicted. And because of that journey, it birthed this journey, turning a moment into a movement where we come here on Fridays to discuss injustice, have community conversations, and also talk about wrongful convictions. So thank you for joining us. So today, I'm so... um. I'm really glad about this conversation that we're having today, um, advocating for the wrongly convicted, just because um, we need to talk about the journey of wrongful convictions and um, how do we stand up for those who have been wrongfully convicted. I know for me, um, because it never happened to me or anyone I knew, um, once I decided that I needed to fight back to save my son and uh, um i was winging it and i met so many awesome advocates as i winged it um but we're going to try to help those who are today experiencing um a family member that's wrongfully convicted so um just uh, if you listen take some notes um you can always rewatch this again on youtube and twitter hello guys on youtube and twitter and um um, just play this back, you know, as we will be giving out a lot of helpful information to um, to you guys. So thank you for joining us. Now I'm going to bring on our panel that um, that we have come on every week. Um, let's see who's here.
2: Okay, hi, Ramatia. Well, good evening. I was looking for my glasses and cannot find them, but it's okay because I'm just so excited to be here tonight. Um, I am, you know, the topics that we are talking about is not just talk. And Jay, I want to say thank you because it's helping me every day to reflect on what am I standing for? Right. What are my actions standing for, so turning a moment into a movement, we move every day every day there's a conversation every day there is an opportunity to make a transformation from the narrative that we have been sold um so and that's that narrative that says that we're not enough, but mm-hmm. that we don't we're undeserving. we deserve justice and we deserve. And- you know, to live um, where we're not discriminated against. Mm -hmm. So I am the proud founder of the choice zone, helping people transform their lives. One choice at a time. Also part of G 100 women minister at transforming love community where love is transforming lives. I think that's all I do all day is talk about transformation (laughs) (laughs) and, um, And definitely a part of the Michigan Social Justice Network. So I want to just say thank you for those who have been following us. Make sure you like, make sure you share, and make sure you become a part of the solution. There are answers and solutions. And so we're going to get right into it today. Thank you. Yes,
1: we are. Thank you, Ravatea. I appreciate you. Love you. Hi, Allie, how are you today?
3: Hello, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Oh, I cannot complain.
1: (laughs) Introduce yourself.
3: Yes, I am Alexandria, uh, certified behavior therapist, HR professional, also community activist. I am uh, with Michigan Liberation, accountability for Dearborn. Uh, Honestly, just uh, here to support as many movements for justice as I can. Um, and also am with um, the Oakland County Prosecutors Racial Justice Board uh, Reentry and Resource Subcommittee and Mental Health Subcommittee. Happy to be here.
1: I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. You're a busy lady, so I appreciate you. (laughs) And hi, Attorney Hugo Matt.
4: Much love. Much love. How is everybody?
1: We're great. How about you? Oh, look.
4: Proud to be here in the land of living once again. Um Hugo J Mac, attorney at law. And I just want to say God bless the panel members people watching, but I'm still laughing at y'all because last week for April Fools, y'all actually thought I'd have nothing else to say. See, so so you know, I did you the way Malcolm talked about you was flim flam, bamboozle, holly golly, run the three card Murphy, you know, the sting, taking down a dark alley without a flashlight. Giving a car would only drive in reverse on a one-way street. All those things happened to you by me by me last week, you know. So uh, you know, I don't want to get profane, but you were jived and BS'd again by Hugo J. Mack. So, but it's all good. It's all good for a good and worthy cause because when it comes to fighting for people who can't fight for themselves, that's what God has brought me back from hell for, okay, you know and 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 unlike some attorneys who would stand in front of you and pretend they parachuted down from heaven to be with you today, I know through Jesus Christ I came up from hell to be with you today. You understand? So yeah. I'm proud to to be here. And J Love, I just love J Love and Sam Riddle. I'm telling you you need to be on that payroll. So I just did it. <laughs> It is a wonderful thing, the synergy, you know. And Jay Love, how come you don't burn no sage when we on the broadcast? <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: heard so, it before the broadcast. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, so you know, so I understand the plight of the wrongfully convicted. Um, my story is a well-known one, and the thing of it is, is that when I come here and Reverend Tia, you are so right. We do make a difference, you know. You know because I know greater is he in us than he who's in the world we we do make a difference look at what happened with the first black woman supreme court justice you know and all the adversity they did that woman so wrong so wrong but you know she made a difference and she inspires me you know and and hopefully we inspire her because she did it with dignity she never lost her cool They talked to that woman for like over 24 hours, I think it was 24 hours of grilling her. And by the way, for all you folks talk about black people stick together, remember that senator from South Carolina named Tim Scott. You know, black is anyone here. Voted against her now. Remember that. Remember that. Mm -hmm. So so let's hold people who happen to have our same uniform but are not on our team. Let's hold them people accountable. Okay. Let's hold them accountable. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, you know, and God bless love all of you.
1: We love you too, Attorney Hugo Mac. I'm so glad you're here. So I'm going to break on Lisa, who is no stranger to us. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Hello. Hello,
5: everyone. Thank you all so much. It's such an honor. Each and every one of you are, are just amazing people. And, and I'm, Oh gosh, I I always feel starstruck when I come on here. I I love all of you. Oh, we love
1: you too, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do.
5: Well, I I am Lisa Riley. I am uh, I have breaking silence with prison reform, uh, which right now is a um, group on Facebook, and I started that group. It really because I noticed there was no place. People don't like petitions. People don't like GoFundMes. People don't like it when uh, people come out and tell their stories even. So I said, there's got to be a place. So Breaking Silence is the place where you can talk about you and your fight, whether that's a petition, a GoFundMe, or or your story. You know, um, I want to give a voice to the voiceless. So uh, that's that's who Breaking Silence is uh, right now, where I'm hoping to grow in the future, but that's that's who I am right now.
1: Well, you're pretty awesome, Lisa. Thank you. I
5: appreciate <laughs> you that. you do
1: a, a, a great work. And uh, I'm always, you know, listening to the stories of the people that you give a voice to. And I'm so glad that you're here with us. And also our guest... Hi, Dion. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing
6: great. How are you guys doing?
1: You're usually on the other end. Now you're here with us.
6: Yeah, I see. <laughs> I fi- I finally got here, man. <laughs> I, I thank God for the opportunity to uh put me on the path of this of this uh platform.
1: Introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is that you do.
6: Okay, my name is Dion Rigginil, and um I'm the co founder of an organization called free people free people and that organization came about through uh my nephew that's incarcerated you know we sit and talk a lot and we we sat down one day and we talked about it. he said man you know what free people do free people because when i talk to you i feel free so we i took that and ran with it so i um uh, you know came up with a logo and came up with some content for free people free people and You know, it's it's not just freeing people from being incarcerated. It's freeing people from from anything. You know, you can free yourself from from being in bondage. You can free yourself out of debt. And sometimes it takes people along the way to help you do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's the concept of free people, free people. Also, I'm also the co-founder of an organization called Prison Project, which which was also founded in prison. You know, a brother that was in prison um came home and he promised my nephew that when he got out that he would reach back to him. To, to make a platform for him to be able to uh, speak his his reality to to what, what, what he was going through. So um, I picked up the torch after that, and we, we continue to pick up that and uh, go to other different states and, you know, other different communities that we've got people that's locked up, and I give them a voice to be able to come onto my platform and, and share their stories or share their realities and, and try to come up with ways that we can help one another out and uh and i and just advocate for the for the wrongfully convicted or anybody that's incarcerated you know i love humanity i love humanity
1: yes thank you Deion. i'm so glad that you're on with us i like again like lisa you you bring a lot of people on on your platform as well and and they get to tell their stories and it's a pretty awesome um thing that you guys are both are doing i'm so glad Um, to have you guys on here today to have this conversation. But before um, we have this conversation, I just want to uh, just bring some awareness to Amir Locke, um, who on a couple of days ago, um, the state attorney general um, said that um, that the officers or the officer who shot and killed him while um doing a no not warrant would not face any charges. And so I just wanted to um let that, you know, bring awareness to that and also um, some attention to him. And just one second. Yeah. Just want to, you know, extend my thoughts and prayers to the family, uh, Amir Locke, and all the people that are um, fighting the fighting for um, justice and in, in regards to him, and also to ban no not warrants. Um, this is um, was part of the George Floyd um, Policing Act, so um, hopefully. Um, We'll get some change soon. I know in Flint, Mayor Neely, he um, Michigan is the only person who has said, you know, in my city there isn't going to be no, not no more, no not warrants and no chokeholds, and so, you know, we need bold leaders like that, and and also we need to be bold to um, get our leaders to stand up like uh, for that. But I just want to because it's so. As a mother, it's just really raw for me. So I just want to extend that and acknowledge him in that way. All right, you guys.
4: Uh-oh. Can I? Can so, I, Can I make one comment on that real quick? Is that all right with you?
1: Yeah, go ahead, Tony Hugo
4: Matt. Okay. Well, I just I just wanted to say that you and I, you you I and Sam were talking some about this earlier today, and. What what we need to do is that we need to hold the police and the courts accountable for the warrants. Police just don't routinely go and kick somebody's door down, all right? I mean, there are circumstances where they can do that. But these cases are happening where people have a warrant. There's a warrant for, for, for them or something. And I want you to understand, the genesis of the no knock warrant is the belief that drugs or some kind of contraband uh, will be destroyed if people are informed that the the uh, police are there well i think it's going to have to get to a point where we're going to have to be willing to perhaps if their drugs are there some drugs getting sh- sh- you know flushed on a toilet or something as opposed to have somebody lose their life because there really should be no comparison between you're scared somebody's going to flush some heroin down a toilet and right. the prospect of killing somebody. Mm-hmm. If 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 even if the police, even if it was not a no knock warrant, police don't have to wait 20 minutes once once they announce a warrant. The way it normally goes is bam 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 warrant police 1001, 1002, 1003, 1004 and that door is coming down. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. those doors are coming down quickly with or without a no-knock warrant, okay? So mm-hmm. in this situation, perhaps it would have given this gentleman more time to react. You know, the man is asleep, and, and right. he's waking up, huh what's going on? All he knows is somebody is busting the door in. So right. you or I or anybody on this panel could react out of fear, you know, out of fear in a situation like that. And once they see the gun, I don't agree with what, the prosecutor decision was as a human being, but as a lawyer, I can understand exactly why they're in charge. So um, so it's a policy decision that we've got to make, J-Love, and we've got to stay on all of our elected and appointed officials. Is a human life worth a pound of heroin? Is it worth it? I say right. a pound of heroin doesn't compare to the value of the human life.
1: Right. And Attorney Hugo, Matt, when you talk about these and, and then we're going to go on. But when we talk about this, these warrants like this, it happens in 80 percent of black and brown communities. So it's it's systemic. And so we have to. And, and as we talked about last week, be intentional with who we have in office. And you're right. You're holding them accountable. We have to research these judges. There's all of that. We have to do our homework. Mm-hmm to make change happen. That's right. So okay. Um thank you, Attorney Hugo Mack, for that. So we're gonna go on, Dion. So uh let's talk about advocating for the wrongful convicted. What is it that you do?
6: Well I I I can only do what God allows me to do. Let me say that much first because I you know God God can allow me to do what I do. So basically what I do is Um, I'm on Facebook and I'm on certain groups that have, uh, that, that's posting a lot of things about wrongfully convicted, like the integrity units and stuff like that. And, um, I, I kinda, I kinda, I kinda, I kinda, I kinda be like more, uh, cautious of who I pick that I want to talk to that's wrongfully convicted. Mm-hmm. you know like i met a brother by the name of uh Montreal williams out of ohio he was on lisa's show one day and um he was just speaking speaking what he was going through and i'm like man you know for somebody to be saying what they what they didn't do and and be so uh compassionate about it you know some people some people might say that they, they didn't do something and, and did it but he the way he was speaking let me know that he really didn't do what they said that he did. So, what I did was I reached out to him, and uh, and and just let him. When I first started talking, and I do this all around the, the country. they say I, you know, I just go on certain, like in Chicago, I might go under the Chicago Department of Corrections, and I might tap onto a certain person's uh, profile and see what they're in for, and and I J-pay them, and then I start a conversation with them. And, f- and once I hear that they're telling me, you know, they're holding fast on, man, I didn't do what they said I did. And I listen to what they say. And um, then I ask them, I said, well, what can I do to help you, you know, get your voice out? And, 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 you know, they always tell me just what you're doing now is enough. But I feel that it's not enough. We got to get more families involved in this. So what I do, is I might tell a person that's incarcerated for a for the conviction, and I, I, I try to send them resources you know, so they can have a, you know, have another way of, um, communicating to people. and I even go to, to the, to the point of uh, communicating with their loved ones to see, you know, uh, the kind of relationship that they have with their families because like the brother just said, you know, we need more people that's going to get out here and vote and do things to, so we can have right representation. So I basically just, you know, reach out to people that's in prison. Uh, also, you know, the, the sisters that's in prison. I'm, I'm talking to a sister right now that's in Virginia that's wrongfully convicted. I'm trying to get her to come on and, and uh, give her a story. But a lot of people be kind of shy away from doing that because a lot of people can't voice out what they need to say. They get caught up in what they're in there for. And, you know, some people can't articulate the words that they need to say in order to, other people to hear what that was going on so they're dead they get some people get frustrated and say well man i don't know what else i can do but i'm that person you can vent to and talk to and, and maybe we can coach you along the way to get your to get your uh voice out there because only a person that has something done for them can only speak for themselves you know right. we can speak for them but they can really tell us what really is going on and when, when you hear that conversation and, and it lets you know that, man, if this person been holding his innocent for 13, 14, 15 years and he ain't changed it, he ain't said, well, I, I'm gonna give up and and that's it, then it's something you to tell you that they they not they in there for something that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, we can on you can only lie for so long before the truth come out. You know, so um that's what I do. I I basically talk to individuals that's incarcerated across the country. To get their families involved in, in, in this fight for this wrongfully conviction you know because a lot of times you get people and i have to inform a lot of people a lot of people that i do talk to and i have to ask them questions too because if you got arrested for something that you didn't do you know i've been on the street the police just don't roll up on you for nothing you know what i'm saying you some of these people that's wrongfully convicted had a, a certain kind of reputation in their neighborhood you know what I'm saying? Some of these people that's incarcerated right now might have been affiliated with gangs and they just want you off the street because if they feel they can get you off the street, then they can maintain that, they can this this uh mantle your organization or the gang that you in. But that that don't usually happen, you know, and especially if you're gonna convict somebody for something that they didn't do. That's gonna make them, you know, thrive to get out. So that's basically what I do, and I, I'm gonna continue to do it as long as God allowed me to do it.
1: All right. So, Lisa, let's talk about what you do, because it's pretty much.
5: <laughs> well, I do a lot of different things, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Over my time of, of doing this, I've been told I, I my hands are in too many things, but I can't help it. I can't help it. Um, so I'm all about helping people that are wrongfully convicted. I, I take it a little step further. I want to know their story. I look at, I go online, and and everything I do, I want people to know, them at home, anyone can do what I do, mm-hmm. so I go online, and I look at dockets, and I, and I look at all the transcripts I can possibly find online for free, and, and I try to uh, learn the story, and I talk to the person that's incarcerated, and, and, uh, you know, and they tell me what's going on, and, um And then I, you know, I let them tell their story on Facebook and uh, give them a voice. Now, sometimes I come across people that need a little more. And um, what I mean by that is um, I had a gentleman that didn't necessarily want to tell his story but uh, just wanted his medication. And he was elderly and, uh, and he didn't have a family or he didn't have a loved one that could call into the prison and, and say, hey, why isn't he getting his medication? So um, I did that. I, I called the prison and I just say, hey, I want you to know that this gentleman is not alone. Um, I, I'm going to stand beside him and uh, I need you to give him his medication. Mm-hmm. And and they gave him his medication, and and unfortunately, the world we live in, sometimes these people that are incarcerated, wrongfully convicted, and some that have committed the crimes, uh, they're being abused. And uh, when when no one has a family, when no one has a voice, uh, it they these people get away with that abusing them, and uh, and I don't I don't want that to happen you know, um, there are people that commit crimes that are extremely overly, um, you know, with time get life. And, and, uh, I don't understand that. Like, you know, there's people that have changed people that need a, a second chance, you know, um, people that the crime doesn't fit the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're inside these prisons and, and they're being abused. And, um, you know, I, I just want to help them because I really believe I myself, uh, I had been in prison in 2008 in Ohio, and that could have been me, you know, it, it very easily could be me. And I know it's going on and I, and I know it's wrong. Um, uh, the racism is real and I know it's real. And, and I want to be that type of person to step out and say, Hey, I know this is a problem. Let's quit acting like it's not and just come together and figure this out. You um, know, I don't understand why as an advocate, why we all don't come together. You know, there there's so many of us, um, you know, but um, I'm just I'm praying on it. and And I'm just trying to to help people as as much as I can, because, you know, oh wow there's so many people that have no one exactly you know
1: yeah exactly and lisa when you're talking about these wrongful convictions um the numbers range from two to ten percent of people incarcerated Mm -hmm. they're saying are wrongfully convicted so Mm -hmm. that's when you're talking about uh, over two million people Mm -hmm. uh, in the united states that's uh, incarcerated that's a huge number of people that are innocent in prison Mm -hmm. and Sometimes people don't do anything. There's been people who right. didn't do anything. Whole, there wasn't even a crime committed. Right, right. And they're somehow in prison.
5: Right. And if you don't mind me saying, I apologize ahead, for me. jumping in, but I have to say, um, just like Dion was saying, Montrell Wilson here in Ohio, which um, I talked to him and I, I tried to get his story out. Is completely innocent completely innocent he's had two statements from two witnesses stating he was not the person that committed that crime and they still ignored it they did exactly what they wanted to do which was take his life Mm -hmm. and he is an innocent man and i just i'm praying that you know to get him home because he truly is you know and i just i don't understand how it is that the prosecutors and the judges know that they're taking people's lives right so then that
1: goes back to this conversation that we've been having since this started since we started doing this um turning a moment into a moment qualified immunity and absolute immunity when there's immunity on the table there's nothing to lose so you pretty much and we're going to look at a video in a little while about that, but it, it pretty much sets the table for a lot of things to happen with no accountability. So um, when uh, we talk
6: I just, about. I say one thing before, before you go to the video, uh, Miss, Miss Lisa, Montreal is coming home. You know, mm-hmm. I, I gotta, you know, when we talk about hoping and all that, we, we beyond hope, you know what I'm saying? He is, he's on his way home. You know, he just prepared, He's just getting himself prepared to be out here. So just keep that energy like that. He He's on his way home.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So when we talk about um, Ron for conviction, that's good Dion, that you said that we have to have that kind of energy and hope because that's the only way that we can um, energize the movement and also give people inside um, a reason to fight beyond, you know, um, that somebody's standing with them, that somebody's supporting them because you're inside an inhumane machine. And so it, you can easily lose hope. Go ahead, Robert to you
2: Yeah, you know, I was I was sitting up here thinking because the the problem is that um, you know, they say don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Um, but I'm ready to say goodbye to the baby. I want to say goodbye to the whole baby. Throw the whole thing out. Um, what the, we have to know and be educated. When I say educated, this is not just in school. I'm talking about educate yourself. I'm talking about get some real information and know the patterns that have been produced in the United States. What has been our response? What has been our action? So when you really think about it, People came over here with their laws and said, our land, our laws, you will abide by our laws. And they made up laws for other people. The laws are made for other people. The laws are made for people who who are underserved. The laws are made for people who are already traumatized. <laughs> and so that's why when you got, um, attorney Mac talking about protocols and laws, we have to know and realize, first of all, that the system, what has it produced? Why was it created? And then how can we maneuver now within it? How do we take our, Lives back, how do we rewrite our history? How do we become empowered? And we can't get it doing it the same way. Mm-hmm. We can't do it, you know? And so I, I just love what our guests are saying today, talking about having the conversation. Just have the conversation. If you can begin with having the conversation with somebody, <coughs> getting to know what has really happened, listening, listening, and then asking, how can I serve? How can I get involved? What is it that I can do within my own power, within my own means? If,
3: uh, your comments about it's not should not be doing it the same way. We got to do it different. I was just thinking about that and thinking about um, the over-reliance on policing when it comes to violence prevention. Um, and you know, gun violence has risen all throughout the country, whether red state or blue state. Um, it's risen the same, of course, impacts Black people the most. Now, what people need to start looking at more is community-based solutions um, to community violence. Uh, mobile more police mobilizing police more has not been proven has not proven to make communities safer um you know it hasn't and there's actually communities using community-based resources that aren't the police and the communities are becoming safer um gun violence is decreasing all these things are this place is using um, the american rescue plan of funds to do that now and that's what we need to see more of Um, it's time to just start doing something different. People need mental health care. People need love. You know, people. People need to be cared for. Humanity. Uh, it can't just be selective. It, it has to be. It has to help everybody. Um, and it's just time. It's just time.
1: Yeah, you're right. So when you talk about that. That goes to the title of, you know, the ongoing title we have this month about community accountability when we're looking at community plans, Um, taking back our communities. I mean, at one time, communities had um, uh, um, patrols that, you know, neighbors patrolled the community. People were uh, more in contact with each other. And so we have to figure out how to get back to community because um, once we get back to community, I think you will eliminate a lot of the, you know, conversations that we haven't because people are looking out for each other. You know, uh, people are talking to their neighbor. uh, You're holding your neighbor's children accountable and all of that, you know, you're looking out for each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big piece about, you know, Um, the change that we need to uh, look forward to. Attorney Hugo, Matt?
4: Well, I could not agree with you more, but you remember last week and perhaps a week before that, I spoke about Dr. Carter G. Woodson back in 1933, Mm -hmm. the book, The Miseducation of the Negro. And that is the same thing that is happening now, the miseducation of the Negro. Dr. Woodson said the Negro is not being educated. He's being indoctrinated. And mm. so what what I'm saying is what what we have is the same dynamic that has beset us, but it's it's gotten worse now because i've I've, I've said it before I say it again. Black people are the greatest Americans in the history of the country, of the country, because no other people have come here so disadvantaged, but then viewing and striving ourselves as the pinnacle Americans. I mean, talk about going from the back of the pack to the front, but the problem is, in viewing ourselves as pinnacle Americans, our youth, and I deal with this thing every day, they think they can get away with driving without a license, like their white counterparts. They think they can get away with having marijuana THC in their system, like their white counterparts. They think they can get away with talking to the police any way they feel they want to, like their white counterparts. They think they can get away with being vagrant and loitering and being in a bad situation and just be able to talk the way out of it and get a slap on the wrist and go home like their white counterparts, but it's not happening. It is simply not happening. And you see, no. the, the, the 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 problem is, the problem is we have struggled so hard to be Americans. Three constitutional amendments, eliminating of the of the three-fifths compromise. Etc. 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 We've struggled so hard that we have this mindset that we are better uh, than we ever were before. That we're Americans, we got a right to save streets, which we do. But when you call the police, you got to understand something: you are not only calling them on an individual; you are calling the police on a community. Mm-hmm. On a community. All right. And that's why when I hear us talk about and Tia uh, and, 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 and Ali and Jay, you know, and Sister Ryan and, and the good brother right here, we have got to get back to the community concept. You know, people derided Hillary Clinton to scorn when she said it takes a village. It, it's not funny to me, the woman was right. The woman was right. So what I'm saying is that's why with all of you and me, in terms of starting, we are a village. Each of us is a village in and of ourselves and the people that we can influence to start having us be accountable for what we are. And you know, and the problem is, you know, back when I was growing up, Miss Lucille would call my mama and tell her when I was out playing, Miss Lucille would tan my behind. And then when my mama got home from being a nurse at St. Joe, Lucille would call her and and my little ass get whipped again. Okay, now see, I didn't appreciate that because to me that was double (laughs) jeopardy. Why am I getting my ass beat twice? I was only (laughs) out once, damn. So, so, so excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So so, 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 so so all I'm saying is we got to get back to that. And we gotta start respecting our elders. We gotta start getting up out the seat for for women on the bus. We gotta start letting black girls feel free to walk to school and not be scared of getting raped and drugged into a drug house, you know, and men, and, and and I know y'all think I'm too hard on black men. I'm not, I'm not, because I've seen so many of us just punk out, just, you know, just, just punk out instead of standing up and being the man where God has put you to be the man, you know? So, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there, Prayerfully in my lifetime, but whether or not we'll get there.
1: You're
6: right.
4: Dion,
1: did you want to say something?
6: Yeah. I wanted to add to, um, you know, when you're talking about the community, you know, every, every, community got a, a place where everybody go you know what i'm saying and every every community got a hood you know even within the city of detroit all the detroit is not messed up but the, the the hood part of detroit you know Finco area if you live in detroit you know the hood part of detroit so you now you got all these you got some of these dumb in that community you know you got the young the young kids is in that community you know they they and, and they they mothers and they fathers been, been, been uh, following this pattern, you know? And that's what it is. You know, once you get a dilapidated community, only mischief can go wrong in that community. So if you don't have nobody in that community on your block, that's, that's say they are gonna call the police. A lot of people, like these elderly people, they be, they just living for they self. They not getting involved what the neighbor got going on because the neighbor got he got a lot going on he got people on his front line every day they barbecuing on the front porch they drinking and smoking everything so the the, the, the elderly people in the community that's living it.
1: so yeah i get what he's saying he froze up but um you're right i think and and comment made a good st- um also statement in the comments I think we do have to get back to community. Um, she stated like the police walking the beat and things like that. At one time, the police used to um, be in your neighborhood. and. Was that me? Yeah, that was you. And uh, <laughs> at one time, police used to be in your neighborhood and walk down. They knew um, who lived where and who was, you know, maybe doing something. And it was a different type of relationship. But now... You know, when people don't live in your neighborhood, they don't necessarily have to understand um who uh you are and uh, or your culture, they just react based on biases. And I, and, I, also,
6: um, I also know before I got here that you know within these within some of these communities, man, it, it do take it do take people to step up and go to these communities. You know what I'm saying? But when you when you dealing with when you dealing with uh i'm gonna say youth because that's what most of them is youth when you're dealing with these youth that's being brought up in these communities that really don't have a structure for themselves you know what i'm saying if you're not bringing them to the table they're gonna continue to do what they're doing because you're not you're not bringing a, a solution if you're just telling them what they need to stop doing if you tell them but well, man you don't need to be selling that dope you can get you a job if you ain't offering them a job why you telling them that they're not gonna listen to you you know what I'm saying? So when, and I, I didn't seen it. I done went to na- I didn't went to neighborhoods where, where people is acting crazy. I say, man, you know what, man? I'm I tell my sister, I said, I'm gonna come over here next week with the lawnmower, and I'm gonna take the lawnmower over to him and say, man, you need to cut your grass, man. Ain't no, it don't make no sense. This is your mother house. She been gone, she been living. When your mother was living, this house never looked like this. You know, you can show them pictures. If you're from that community, you can show the people on the block, this tearing up their block, this is how this used to look. Let's get this to how it used to look. And when you start acting on that, then you get people to help out. Then they start respecting where they live at. Once they start respecting where they live at, you don't got to worry about the police coming up in there, throwing them on the ground, shooting at them, knocking them down, and, and, and putting them in jail. You ain't got to worry about that because they, com- they police in their own community. They see some of these younger kids out here doing that. They ain't got no business doing and say, look, man, you don't need no business out here doing that. And that's how you get the community involved. You, that's how you get the community back involved, by going up to them with something. You can't go to somebody and say, well, man, you, you need to stop doing that. But what else I'm going to do? This is all I know. All right. Show me a different way. If you can show them a different way, then they'll put that gun up, they'll put that dope up, and they'll go out here and make their money. Because you just showed them how to do it.
3: I just want to make a comment and reply uh, to, I think that was a comment in the chat or in the um, on the Facebook. Um, I would steer away from uh, going to community policing. Um, I guess my first thought is when did that work? Because technically community policing has been around since the 60s. There's been grants dedicated to community policing. Southfield has a community policing program um, and you know it hasn't made communities safer. I would actually lean more towards community violence intervention programs, hospital-based violence intervention programs, Um, And there is portions of the American Rescue Plan that make it where you can use funds for that. And you can search how many funds your community has right now. (laughs) Um, But there's all types of resources. Uh, I just, um, whatever form public safety takes um, that we create, um, when we do get to that point of creating our own form of safety for our communities, I would steer clear of having it be a replication of policing. It should not be policing, us policing each other. It needs to be something different.
1: Yeah, I I agree um, because I agree with less police, more community involvement, you know, uh, more programming where we, uh, the people in the community, are looking out for each other because the more you put a police in it, that's the more you're being policed. I really believe that.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Jay, um, they got the numbers on this. Yeah. They got, they got I mean, it, it, it is not up to, like we've always said, it's not up to them. It is up to us. And they have the numbers on what happens when people are active in their community. And we got to think about this. We got to really think about it. When you talk about Detroit, I know when I was growing up, you had the community rec centers.
0: Mm-hmm. Why?
2: Well, they had already done a study. They knew that youth crime usually happened right after school until it's it's a short window of time. And and if they got youth engaged into an activity right after school, it cut down youth crime. That is just youth crime by itself. When it came to those recreational centers, you had them all over the city. You if you wanted to play basketball, you could travel anywhere in the city of Detroit and know that you're going to play basketball. And not only did they they had that they had chess games. I learned how to play chess look at the library. Mm-hmm. At the library. I played I had to learn how to play chess. I was in the 3rd grade playing chess because that's what was offered in the community. You had after school homework at at the rec center. And then sometimes you couldn't even touch a basketball until you got your homework done. Mm -hmm. But you had, this is the important part. You had people who poured into the youth because they wanted to. You had people who said, let me help you with that math. Even when the parents didn't know it. So when we're talking about taking our community back, I'm talking about looking at what are you doing to enhance our community or tear it down. And know that if you look at history if you, they, when, De, when Detroit, and I can say Detroit because that's where I grew up. That's where I was born. When Detroit had those recreational centers and they had like attorney Mac, everybody on my block, all the neighbors knew, look, if you, if you rode a bike on the lawn, you you were gonna get called, okay? Your mother was going to get called. And by the time you got home, you were already in trouble. Community means that we're looking out for one another. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So how do we get back to that? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: We have to change, shift our perception, our focus. What are we really looking at? what things have become important to us instead of our children, instead of our community, instead of education. And stop letting somebody else tell you what to do with your child.
1: Yeah, because when we're talking about wrongful convictions, these a lot of these things that's going on now is a recipe for wrongful convictions. So we have to change the way we're looking at things and the whole narrative and and um, I want you guys, I have this video. I really want us to look at it. Um, it's a little bit long, so just hold on because there is a, a conversation that we need to have at the end of this video, okay?
7: Innocent man, jailed for 28 years, framed by the police, seeking justice The cops have to go to court that framed him. The judge decided to continue to push the case down, push it down the road. So much so that the man died before exacting justice against these cops who framed him. Let's put up his picture. His name is William Ricky Virgil. He spent 28 years in prison for murder. He did not commit. DNA evidence cleared him. He has now passed away, he passed away before his wrongful conviction lawsuit was able to proceed. He filed a federal lawsuit against two former Newport, Kentucky police officers who allegedly framed him, they were scheduled to go to trial last August. But a judge decided to delay the proceeding, allow the officers to pursue an immunity claim in a higher court. That's a rare but legally allowable judicial move. Virgil's lawsuit called for monetary compensation from the cities of Norwood, Cincinnati and Newport and officers and their police departments for the years he spent in prison. The detectives who allegedly fabricated a case against Virgil argued they have qualified immunity. Virgil's attorney, Elliot Slosar, told a federal court last summer he feared that at 70 years old his client would die before he gets a chance to confront the officers. Now I want to remind you once again, we're back to the qualified immunity dynamic, right? Okay, so let me explain this. If the cops framed him, they should not qualify for qualified immunity. And here's why. Qualified immunity covers what's called in the course of your job. Framing someone, if you are the police, And you are engaged in framing a person that is not in the course of your job. A judge knows that, a judge is well aware that you do not get to claim qualified immunity if you actually frame somebody. So when the judge said, we're going to allow you to seek a qualified immunity defense through a judicial motion with a higher court. What that judge is saying is, I know good and damn well this is bogus as far as you getting qualified immunity. But if I delay this hearing this other guy who's the victim of your frame will likely die before the case is adjudicated. Follow me so far, these are the games they play, all right, there's more. Let me give you some background on the original case, okay? Virgil was convicted for murder of his lover, Retha Welch, all right? Let's put up a picture. Um, of Miss Welch. Uh, he was convicted of that murder. This was in 1988 based on a jailhouse snitch testimony and circumstantial evidence. Miss uh, Welch was a psychiatric nurse, was raped and stabbed 28 times, struck on the head and left for dead in a bathroom floor on a bathroom floor. Virgil met Welch while she was ministering to inmates in jail and he said they were in a relationship when she died. Virgil had recently been released from prison. When Welch was killed, Virgil claimed his innocence from the beginning. Black man, white woman, black man with criminal history, white woman dead, has a connection to the black man, black man found guilty. Didn't do it. DNA evidence exonerated him. Cops framed him. Okay. How was he proven innocent? Here it is. With the help of the Kentucky Innocence Project, big ups to them. A court, uh, the court ordered a review of DNA in the case in 2010. DNA from the vaginal swab and hair found at the scene excluded Virgil as the killer. In 2015, the court granted Virgil a new trial. Virgil's former cellmate Joe Womack said Newport Police Detective Norman Wagner gave him cash and details of the case and promised to write a favorable letter to the parole board in exchange. For for his testimony in light of the new evidence, a judge threw out Virgil's conviction. It gets deeper, during Virgil's civil suit evidence of Welch's actual killer was revealed. Two days before Welch's body was discovered by a co-worker, Newport police fatally shot someone named Isaac Grubbs, who was armed with a knife at the time. The medical examiner estimated that Welch was killed two to three days before she was found. Grubbs knife was entered into the exhibit in Virgil's trial. Lester Caudill, one of the officers who shot Grubbs said on the oath. He found out that Grubbs was a suspect in Welch's murder after the shooting. Prosecutors destroyed Grubbs knife in 2005, but left two other knives included in the evidence. So what do we have here? We have detectives involved in the cover up. We have prosecutors involved in the cover up. And while it is so sad that this brother who was arrested and convicted and served 28 years, while that is a tragedy and he died before getting full justice. Why are we not talking about locking up the prosecutor or filing criminal charges against the police officers who engaged in this cover up? Show picture of the judge that decided to enact this legal move so these cops would not be held accountable. That's a US District Judge David Bunning. Was the one who agreed to delay the case for the cops' appeal. The appeal is now therefore the U.S. Sixth District Court at the U.S. Sixth District Court of Appeals, and a trial may not take place until 2023, if it takes place at all. You see, the criminal justice system is not broken; it's working the way it was designed to work. The criminal justice system was created. To penalize, criminalize black people in particular, and historically marginalized people by extension. The criminal justice system does not need to be fixed, it needs to be broken. All right? Okay. Ms. Khan, thoughts here?
8: Lots of thoughts again. You know, one time I was talking to a cop, and he was trying to discuss systemic racism with me, and it was very clear very early on in the conversation that he didn't really understand what systemic racism was. Even though he thought that the people thought of him as a perpetuator of it. Now, whenever we talk about systemic racism, there are so many different applications of it. And this is just one of them. You know, it wasn't one cop who was racist against this one guy. It wasn't a jury that was racist against this one guy. It was the judges. It were it was the cops who were involved. It was the actual criminals. And all of that was stacked up against this one innocent person who was just a scapegoat. Whenever we talk about jailing and things like that, especially over the course of 20, 30 years, that's a lifetime for some people. You know, like I'm 33 years old. That's the majority of my life confined into a cell, not knowing what the rest of the world is for something that I didn't do, right? I consider myself a pretty empathetic person. I can't even imagine what that must be like. And then on top of that, the fact that he died before ever seeing justice, he doesn't know American justice, you know? We put so much stock in our justice system, in our systems in general, right? We have our, the three branches of government and everything is supposed to be so elite and so well thought out and so brilliant in its foundry and its execution. And the reality is that we have so many cases like this. When you think about how many people are incarcerated in the United States, how many of them are suffering a similar state? A uh, fate to Mr. Virgil here. That's it's right. it's kind of mind-boggling to think about. And then there's all these inefficiencies and intentional delays, bureaucracy. I mean, you're playing with people's mm-hmm. lives, and it's really easy to forget that. You know, the more you postpone something, that's another month, two months, years that somebody has to sit in a jail cell. So
7: yeah, and the we, we, we lose the it.
8: humanity of it. Yeah, yeah,
7: and the attorney logged it for the record. He told the judge, you know, my client is probably going to die if you do this. Yeah. And the judge did it anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, Lisa, I know me and you and Dion was talking before the show started, and we were talking about all the uh, the innocent groups that uh, you were talking about that said it was going to be like um, for people filing for um, exoneration, 10 years, um, the wait was like 10 years. And so you, when we hear these stories and we're talking about community and things like that, um, we had to really eliminate these recipes for wrongful convictions. And it's gonna take not the institutions that are putting people in these spaces. It's gonna take us looking at something in a different way. We are like, and. I want to say we've been programmed to believe that you know only the police or only you know these people can fix things but that that is not um we have to look beyond that we have to look beyond those traditional ways to a different way
5: go ahead lisa you know i i agree with you here in ohio um, i have recently found out that when a, a person claims that they are wrongfully convicted, whether that is reaching out to the innocent project or no the, they just out. recently put Can together. You hear me?
1: Wrong, Go ahead, Lisa. We're they, here. they recently put
5: out a wrongful conviction unit in Columbus. And I, um and thanks to Dion, because he had passed that information to me very early on. So I had, uh, given that information to a lot of, uh, men and women that are incarcerated and they wrote letters and their response back was, it takes them up to 10 years, um, before they will even let them know they're willing to work on the case. So, I mean, think about that. So it's 10 years to even consider it and then, you know, however long it takes to work on it. Um. I don't really understand why it takes that long, but it does. And, um, you know, uh, that video was powerful and thank you for, for playing that. And my thoughts is, um, what, what can we do? I mean, I, if there is someone on, on this panel or someone out there watching your show, I would love to be a part of a bill or, or you know, trying to pass a law that would hold these people accountable as far as the uh, prosecutors and the judges. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, there, there's no amount of money in the world that uh people can get to replace their life and um and that's for people that have been incarcerated 20 30 years wrongfully and they come home and they're home today but yet their 20 30 years is gone
0: mm-hmm.
5: No, there's no money that can replace that
1: right go ahead Allie. i
3: think it i mean it's one of the ways that he start, I feel, is getting it on the ballot in the city, or even you can try to push for statewide petitioning and um, yeah, trying to get it uh, for your municipal elections, trying to get it on the ballot for people to vote on, or even getting it written into the city charter. They have in city charters that those previously incarcerated cannot work for city government or run for office in some cities that does exist. And there are police, things that protect the police, things that say you cannot subpoena the police, Grand Rapids has that in their charter. So we can easily remove that by petitioning um, to get the charter revised, petitioning to get those things on the ballot, whether qualified immunity um, being ended, police being completely removed. That's been on ballots before in Minneapolis. Um, So yeah, it's building that community, organizing with your community members, going door to door so we can get buy-ins on these things. And start to get these things out there, you know, don't let, uh don't let, you know, these hateful people, Republicans, and they consistently vote for things and they consistently turn out. And we have to start turning out that much at the polls. We have to start petitioning just as much for justice.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, I wanted to say that we got to remember who did what, because people do things who are civil servants and then we forget what they did because we keep yelling out the name of the victim, not saying not to remember them, but we're not gonna remember the judge like David Bunny for the from the clip. We don't remember that. We don't remember that when we go to the polls, we don't remember who did what. Mm-hmm we forget about it. And, and I believe that we're so traumatized trauma on top of trauma that when something happens, we just we just forget who did what, but we remember the pain. We remember the people who were killed. We remember them, but we don't remember who did it mm-hmm. and hold them accountable. Go ahead, Dionne.
6: I wanted to say, you know, we're watching that clip, you know, and, and, and that uh, that that's where it all stems from. It starts from the arrest, you know, what I'm saying from the police. As soon as you get arrested, you
1: froze. Okay, Attorney Hugo Matt.
4: Yes, um, it, it starts from the arrest, but again, the police aren't just out there looking for crime. 99% of the time police arrive because somebody has called them. Mm-hmm. They, they come into the black neighborhood because we call them and we have a right to be safe in our neighborhood, okay? And what's happening is one thing we can't overlook, You know, um, we can collectively say we are a proud people, but we still have got haters and killers and muggers and rapists in our midst, okay? And we have a right to be protected from them. See, therein lies the dynamic, the selfishness, the greed, the arrogance within our own community. You know, a little history quiz. You know what movie they celebrate 50 years that they made 50 years ago? You no, know, you know what movie? It's called The Godfather. Oh, okay. man, yeah, man, That's about 50 years ago. One thing that was etched in my memory about that movie, I think it was near 50 years ago, was they said, we're going to keep the drugs, the vice, the prostitution down with the ends. We're going to flood all that down with the ends. You cannot go in one of these Italian communities. You cannot go in one of these uh, uh, French communities. You cannot go in one of these Greek communities. And you damn sure can't go in no Jewish community and talk about you going to go in there and you going to bring drugs and vice into their community, okay? Okay but yet we are the only people you can do any damn thing you want in our community okay you know you can come and have a corner store okay rape us for overpriced bread stale milk okay and everything and take that money out to dearborn all right you know what i'm saying wherever wherever else you want to take it bloomfield hills so what i'm saying is it gets back to me and i know i keep repeating myself we have got to be the village that we want to expand and teaching our kids to love yourself first. Quit trying to love what other people say you should be. Love yourself first. Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, like I said, we're the greatest Americans that, that, that have ever lived. We are. We're like that donkey where, where there's a stick and there's a carrot and an end of the stick, you know, and you put the stick in front of the donkey. You're like, All right, I just got a few more steps. I'm going to get me that carrot. And you ain't getting a damn thing, but, but, but bliss is on your feet. So what I'm saying is stop loving what other people say they are. Love what you are. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when we start doing that, we're going to stand up for that woman. at, at, Like I said, the bus stop. We're going to say, hey, man, come on. You know, there's there, there, there are women on the bus. We ain't got to talk like that in front of these women, you know. And you know what? And it's happened to me. I've had people starting to jump on me. Or oh, who the hell you think you are? You know, blah blah blah. Well, I'm a man that's going to stand up and say respect our women, okay? Because that's where it starts. And these men that are out here committing these crimes, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to uh, put everybody in one lump sum. But before you, you know, commit a crime, think about where you come from. You know, think about the woman that sacrificed nine months of her life to bring you into the world. You know, you know, show some respect. You know, so um I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. No, I mean that's a real conversation, Attorney Hugo Matt. That is real. Um, go ahead, Dion. You were uh frozen last
6: time. I had a couple of phone calls come in and I'm on, I wish I was at home. I wouldn't be going through this, but yeah. When 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 one get arrested for something that he didn't do and the police are already, you know, they don't they 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 looking for that conviction. So once you get arrested, even if you didn't do nothing, you know, like my my mother and my father used to tell me all the time, if you get if you get affiliated with the police, keep your mouth shut. You know, a lot of people get arrested and don't don't keep their mouth shut. They
1: try to explain. Oh, it froze up again. Go ahead, and, Allie. I'll uh, just add really quick.
3: Uh, thinking of ways that we can stop this, ways that we can prevent violence and also um, not have to worry about calling the police, us getting harmed. No, I'm I'm just thinking about that. I'm
6: thinking, I got a bad, it's a bad connection. But what I was saying is, you know, when when you get when you, when you upon getting arrested, just, just keep your mouth shut because what the police do is once you get into that interrogating room, if you didn't do nothing, by the time you get out, by the time you leave that interrogate room, you been you you're gonna been confess to something along the line of what they think that you got arrested for. So once they got that, especially if they get you to sign a a, a, a statement. You know, I know when I got arrested in my case, they separated everybody. So when they separate everybody, and I know not to say nothing the other person might know not to say nothing but when they come back to you and tell you yeah dion already told us that you did this and you did that and and you did this and you did that and then the person that's receiving that is knowing what well, it sound like what i what went on but that's not what went on but they capturing well no i didn't do that part as soon as you say you didn't do that part they got you so now they can charge you or what they want to charge you with. So now once you get to that courtroom, it's on a prosecutor to prove that you did what they said you did. That's why they had these evidentiary hearings and bringing up the evidence and doing all this other stuff. Okay.
1: So Dion is froze. Go ahead, Allie. Uh, Yeah, I
3: was going to say, so um, I was thinking about ways that we can Prevent violence um, and also not have to rely on the police. Start to think different, um, and you know that uh, you know the thing about defunding the police. That's really what that's about. But a lot of people don't understand it. It's multi. It's a multi-part thing. It's not like something like a band aid, a sticker. It's not just a one-part thing. Defunding, and in essence, what that is, is you know emphasizing that community part. So, for example, healthcare and mental health, physical health. Cities, majority, almost every city in the United States does not have a healthcare department. Um, you know, there's cities like Southfield, we used to have one, uh, say in 2013, and they got rid of that. Um, Dearborn used to have one, got rid of that. Pandemic happens in Detroit, and Detroit is probably, yeah, the only city city in the metro area that has um, a healthcare, like healthcare department. Um, you know, and being communities of color with the highest COVID numbers and everything else, highest policing. And this is why police are getting all everything. They're having to respond to everything. That's why everybody calls them. There's nothing else. Um, so we need to start to advocate to have these types of things created. We can also do things ourselves, like uh, de-escalation training, um, taking de-escalation training and also, also mental health first aid training trauma informed training, peer support um, specialists, like becoming that. Like there's multiple things that we can do uh, to not have to rely uh, just completely on the police. And and lastly, on that video um, about qualified immunity, what's interesting is how there's a lot of pushback from, you know, Republicans and just hateful people (laughs) to be honest and police about not ending it when really there's still the police union. We end the qualified immunity, there's still the police union, every city has one, every state has one, counties have one, and then you have a police bill of rights in 19 different states. So we still have an uphill battle even when ending qualified immunity. That just truly shows they don't wanna take any accountability for anything. And it shows that they're completely greedy and and aren't for justice, equal justice at all. They're for themselves.
1: Go ahead, Tony Hickle, Matt.
4: And along that line that Allie was talking about, you know, you got to understand, a police union is just like any other union, only the the, the difference is they deal with issues of life and death. Unions exist for one primary reason, to increase the lot of their members. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and I think that the, the Black people have got to stop using cookie cutter ideas. Every union is not a good union,
0: mm-hmm.
4: okay? You know, police unions when it comes to black people are really not good things, they really aren't, okay? Because they will get behind a racist killer cop and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, all right? In terms of their defense. You remember the black DA in, uh, in Atlanta, that was bringing the charges against those police officers that shot that black guy when he was like asleep in his car at a, at a Wendy's or, 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 or something yeah. like
1: that. Okay. Or something. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. And what happened is, is that the, the police union, all right. And raise tens of thousands, hundreds of dollars to have a candidate run against him, against him. Okay. For that, for, for that position. And what I'm saying is they will bully and intimidate the hell out of people running for office and say, either you do what we want to do, or you go, you will be primary. We will see you get primary. Okay. And so what's happening is, is that you have some progressive prosecutors, but far too many of them are too much in bed with the police. That's yeah. one reason I ran, that's one reason I ran for Washtenaw County prosecutor to break up that damn incest that we've had in Washtenaw County for 30 years. Okay. So and 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 to his credit, uh, you know, the current prosecutor, uh, my opponent, uh, one of them, you know, as at least making steps towards acknowledging some of that, you know, and trying to do more progressive things from a prosecutor's uh point of view. So the thing of it is, and 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 back to what Ali said, uh, and, and maybe Tia was saying too, you know, even the concept of like knowing your police with that with that community policing, good or bad, they torpedoed that when they eliminated residency. You know, once mm-hmm. upon a time, there was a residency requirement in Detroit. If you want to be a Detroit police officer, you have to live in the city of Detroit. Not anymore, you don't. Right. Not, not anymore, you don't. If you want to be a teacher in the Detroit public schools, you don't have to be a residency in Detroit. No, you don't. No, you don't, you know, so your time might be spent in Detroit for eight hours a day, but your influence, your tax dollars, your local dollars are going back to Birmingham or somewhere else.
1: Exactly. And and then you pay for their pension and they don't live in your city. They get to retire and take your that, that city's money mm-hmm. out of the city and to wherever they live. And then what do you get? And so... Um, I like what you said in the comments, Alexandra. Could you go ahead and um, say that about the police unions?
3: Yeah, so unions, they're able to shred records. So um, when you go from one, say they're fired from one municipality, a lot of times records are shredded or sealed, and the union has capability to do that. Um, Example of that is Tamir. Um, I need to find his name, so I feel like we need to put his name out there. Um, the officer who killed Timmy Rice, uh, he had multiple instances of that same nature with children where he did kill people in the same way, but it was not public. It was not spread because those that information was not shared with other municipalities. Um, and there is nothing uh, stopping, um, there's nothing to, to hold back uh, other uh, cities from hiring officers that do that kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, he never would have got killed if it wasn't for that. You could look at Derek Chauvin, the same stuff existed with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, in the union, this is what they do. They make it where officers can uh, continue to do this. Um, They are a political entity. They do have money. And they influence our elected officials. Yeah, Um,
1: and they also um, support judges, Mm -hmm. those unions.
3: Yeah, so... Yeah, and and on that um, note of pensions and things, I wonder if they would change their behavior if we took away their pensions.
4: Exactly. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And, and and can I can I just can I just jump in one other thing? Yeah. In terms of, of this incest that, that I'm talking about, do you notice how everybody that is running for Court of Appeals judge, for Miss Supreme Court, and even these local judges like these county elections? Do you know how each of them kissed the police department's ass to get an endorsement by police mm-hmm. i mean i mean i mean think about that i get so sick of seeing these campaigns for like circuit court judge and 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 supreme court judge uh endorsed by the police officers you know the the benevolent society of police the rising star of mayberry sheriff's association all these mm-hmm. damn things okay and so what i'm saying is that shows you that incest you know and people are not going to support someone for office that does not follow their belief. They're not right. going to do it. And so part of the problem is, is that we do not demand enough of these people in office say, well, why are you seeking, you're, you're, you're running for judge. Why are you putting up on your website you're, you're uh, endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police? Well, what, what, what is the purpose of doing that? You know. And 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 just to challenge them because it should not be a badge of honor to say I'm getting twenty five fifty thousand dollars from the police if you're running for judge. It, it's not a good. badge of honor.
1: Right, because when you look at a judge, you're looking at somebody who's supposed to be unbought. They're supposed to be without biases, you know. So if you're saying that hey, the police support me, then you are the police spokesperson. So when you go into these courtrooms, you know, you already got a strike against you because you are in the police endorsed judge courtroom. Mm-hmm. And so, and then it comes back to us again, are us being accountable, because what are you believing? Are you believing because a judge is um, endorsed by the police that makes them a great judge? But mm. when we're showing you evidence of wrongful convictions, where there's police involvement, where there's prosecutor misconduct, which is, um, I think, uh, 2020, they did a whole report about that, and um, government misconduct was the number one reason of a lot of uh, wrongful convictions because there was either a police um, involvement that was misconduct or there was a judge, I mean, a prosecutor, or even in some cases, a judge so we have to you're right attorney hook Matt. when we see these things we have to not only question that we have to question ourselves like why would we vote for somebody who has these accreditations go ahead dion
6: i wanted to say that yeah when when it comes down to, to electing these officials and and dealing with the police itself you know some of these, you know, some of our community leaders don't really, or some of the people in the community don't don't, don't take the time out to know, the, uh, some of these detectives in some of their precincts. You know what I'm saying? That that might that might have a uh, a disorderly conduct or a way they, the way they carry out their duties. You know, if we knew who these detectives were, or some of these people is, then that that could that could hold back on some of this wrongful conviction Because if you get an officer that that been arrested four people in, in six months for something that they didn't do. And, and and I'm quite sure, even though some of these people don't get sent to prison, the judge say, well, we're gonna just throw all the evidence out because we don't have a case right here. They didn't have a case from the beginning. So they're, they're throw a case out instead of saying, well, maybe we need to look at this 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 lieutenant. Who is the lieutenant? Who is in charge of or that, that that homicide department that's allowing for their police to go out and grab people up off the street and, and throw them in jail? All we right. need to the city the community need to know that.
0: Right. We need some kind of
6: database.
3: You know, you know what um, on the comment of accountability and, and what we can do. I was thinking about uh police oversight commissions, right? And mm-hmm. if you look at different cities in the United States that have them, who they have on that commission will tell you what their priorities are. It'll tell you whether the priorities are protecting the police or the people. And I say that because there's um, oversight commissions that have police officers, all police officers or previous officers on them. There's other ones who have civilians, everyday people, and also people that are um, uh, savvy in in writing policies Um, and not, or there's lawyers, people that are lawyers too. But um, just, I guess, think about that when uh, you are somewhere and, and they do have some kind of review board or because, you know, there's different names, commission or review board or advisory council of the police kind of thing. If there's just officers on that, um, people in the law industry, like lawyers, officers and judges, that isn't going to help us because we need right. something different and we need everyday people. We need unbought people. <laughs> right. Um, and hence, you know, when I look at Detroit and um Detroit has a, I forget what they call it, but they're like a- Police
1: police, commission.
3: Yeah, police commission. Um, I'm not too much of a fan of that, (laughs) just because they don't actually- What are are they doing? There are things happening, but not with them. Like, they're not doing the investigation of wrong bad cops. I've seen it being done, but it's not them doing it. It's like the police department. It's nothing they're involved in, so- I honestly think that whole thing needs to be redone.
1: Um, right. When you have a, a community, Detroit, that have a hundred and something police officers, almost 200 police officers that can't testify in court, but they're still working. What is the point of a commission when you, uh, why are they working? They can't even testify in court. So what can they do? You know what I'm saying? So another recipe for wrongful convictions or wrongful arrests or, Yes. Um, all those yes. things, because you still have these people who, you know, are corrupt, but because they have a police union who going to fight for their jobs, they're going to keep them working or whatever. But you don't have no way of getting them off the street and away from people because there have been um, and through court have been shown that they are, uh, you know, they're untruthful. They, their testimony can't hold up because they've been untruthful many times. So we, as the people have to call out these commissions as well, because if you said you're a commission or you say you're an oversight board or whatever, but you're not doing any oversight, then we still have the same thing. And then we were talking about from the, from the video and the conversations where it takes a person 10 years who probably going to die before they are exonerated. But you have these people, you know, it's not helping our communities. It's keeping people in the cycle of incarceration. Mm-hmm. And it's not, what is it doing? It's not doing anything but putting more people into the cycle. Go ahead, attorney Hugo <laughs> Correct.
4: I'm I'm sorry. I must no, say in addition to what uh, Alexandra was saying, and Tia, I'm sorry if I cut you off this is the last thing I'm gonna say for the rest of the night. If I <laughs> look not only do the unions protect through collective bargaining agreements what happens. For example, uh, in, in, in the city of Detroit, the police, the, the police unions has negotiated with the city where if, if a cop is accused of something, they've automatically got a right to a union rep, okay, uh, before uh, like uh, 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 an integrity, uh, internal affairs, excuse me. Talk talks to them. There are reports that can be held up for forty-eight hours in terms of misconduct of an officer, and and on top of that, those police officers maintain every civil and criminal right that you have. You see, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know. See, hi- history is a, is an important thing for me. In the Nixon administration, you had an attorney general by the name of John Mitchell. Okay, mm-hmm. John Mitchell was one of those kick-ass throw them in jail, throw away the key kind of, kind, of, kind of attorney generals, all right? Every police officer was right, and every defendant was wrong. How, how do we know the defendant is lying? Because his or her lips are moving. That's how we know they're lying. His and her lips are moving. Well, when he got his, his crusty ass caught up with criminal charges, he became the greatest advocate for civil and criminal rights in the history of the nation you know, the right to presumption of innocence, the right to, to, to counsel, the right to fair treatment and a fair trial. So what I'm saying is the problem that we've got, and one thing that I am proud of in my profession, all right, you see, I can be had, all right, for the privilege of practicing law in the state of Michigan. They have two divisions of the Supreme Court. One is the Attorney Grievance Commission prosecutors, and one is the, um uh, the attorney disciplinary board judges separate and autonomous entities that look at allegations of malpractice, let's say, on my part. These people are separate and distinct from anybody other than the Supreme Court. They have got the authority not only to charge me, they've got the authority to reprimand me. They've got the authority to remove my license. They've got the authority to put me on a list of, of attorneys or former attorneys who can never be trusted. So we do have the mechanism to do it with the police. Uh, uh, by the way, doctors are notorious for this also, by the way. You can have a rogue doctor that's giving people pills and having people killed, and all they got to do is move to another to another state. None of that stuff follows them. None of it follows them. So the doctor that you go in there, if you're a woman to have a Uh, you know, some kind of a feminine exam. This man maybe doesn't kill somebody. You don't know. You don't know. And so what I'm saying is, J. Love, we lack the political will to hold police accountable because if they do it with lawyers, they can do it with doctors. If they can do it with doctors, they can do it with police and, 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 and everybody else, judges too, you know, and hold these people's feet to the fire.
1: And uh, going back to unions, Kim Potter, the, uh, the one who was, uh, she was a union. She was, a, was she the president of her local or her union? And she was the trainer. And so, and, and you see what she got, Uh, what, two, two years, uh, five years, which she had probably only served two. But that was her job as a union rep to support these officers when they um, did something um, out of conduct, that
4: was her and, job. And I believe she got her pension. I believe she got her pension, you know? I'm yeah. And, and see, that that is one thing where the police call themselves being half ass slick. When they know they done did wrong, okay, what they do is they go on and resign right. uh, from that position before a formal finding of wrong is, is, is being done. So that pension vests at that time with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that woman, you know, killed that boy. Okay. Uh, to me, a slap on the wrist. I'm sorry. a Slap on the wrist and getting a pension and she ain't got to worry about working no more for the rest of her life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, the, the, the people going to pay her pension from now until forever. Right.
1: And so when we looking at these wrongful convictions, the same thing, when um, these lawsuits and everything like that, there's no accountability because the people, the citizens is the ones that's paying for this. We're paying for these millions of dollars. Go ahead,
5: Lisa. I'm sorry. Yes, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And, And I'm just, I'm so thankful for everything that everyone has said. I've learned so much on this panel. Uh, Thank you. I I think we have to come together as a community. We have to vote the right people. We have to do our research for sure. Um, And and I have to tell you, even for myself, there's things I didn't know. Thank you, Allie, for sharing everything that you've shared. I'm over here pushing all the wrong buttons because I'm trying to look things up now, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and, and I think that's what it takes. I, I think that, um, you know, and, and I can't say it for anyone else, but I always have to stay humble because I have to learn these things because see, for me, my grandchildren are are getting older and, and God forbid, they are in a, in a living room asleep and the police barge in and kill them. And it's possible. It's very, very possible. So, you know, I just, I I truly want to make a difference and uh, I'm just so grateful to be a a part of this panel and and to be able to learn all that. All of you are amazing. You're just all amazing. So, uh, and and the wrongful conviction, we have to keep at it. We cannot stop. We can't, we can't stop. You know, we just have to keep doing what we can do, you know, and, and with saying that, you know, I do want to say this, that sometimes we're all human. I get tired and life intervenes, um, you know, um, I've been extremely busy. My sister just had open heart surgery. So a lot of people haven't heard a whole lot from me, but you know, with that, you know, you just have to pick up the pieces and you have to keep pushing through because there's so many lives that are, uh, you know, they're, they're out there people and they're, they're really hoping and praying for us. Yeah. You know, people we don't even know. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah, Yeah, I just want to say, you know, with this wrongful conviction, um, just with the criminal justice system itself, you know, the people on this panel and and, and some of the people that's listening to your panel, you know, some of us are warriors, you know, but some, some people just don't care. You know, some people just don't care how many people get locked up or who locked up or why they locked up. You know, and those are the people that we need to really try to focus, to reach out to because at any time something can happen in their life that that, that they can go through this tragedy. You know, it, it's you know, that, that's what it is. A lot of people is not caring and just letting this thing continue to go on and on and on. It's like a a, a, a merry-go-round, you know. So everything is just continuing going in, in a cycle that, that, is, that is built for it. But if you don't have people that's gonna get engaged, and, and, and I'm also speaking to the people that got family members that's incarceration, we gotta come to a kind of a coalition. We gotta come together. Stop, we gotta work, not worried about these groups that's trying to take on all this um, popularity stuff, but the, the, the people themselves, the individuals themselves, we gotta come as a coalition of families. We get families to come together, and then we can start working on, you know, going going down to the Capitol capital and have other other countries, I mean, have other states come down to our capital that's suffering from the same thing. So, like I was saying earlier, if you do a protest and you got five hundred to a thousand people, they okay with that. They can handle that, but they can't handle five states coming down to the Michigan Capitol standing on their stairs, and 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 and, and, a, and a multitude of people fighting for wrongful convictions from other states here in Michigan and the people in Michigan go to their state as well and do the same thing that's how you get traction and then once the masses come out then once it is going to reach the the attorney generals that's over all this stuff and they're going they don't have no choice but to let people out but we got to stop trying to focus on you know I know I want my nephew out I know people want their sons and daughters out but we got to focus on who is really relevant for us to, to stand up for, for them to get out. Let's, let, we we got to work at it one piece at a time because they're not going to let everybody out. Like the sister said, they, they wait 10 years of that. They even look at your case. and even say that we're going to let you out. So those are people that we need to be looking at the people that's been locked up for 20 years, 30 years. That's, that's the 40 important.
1: years, 50 years. Mm, yeah. I mean, you're right. Um, We had to, yeah, you're right. We had to figure out how to work together because um, it helps everyone. You know, I'm in this because not only because of my son, but because the other people that I met, that their stories pulled at my heartstrings. And I'm like, okay, this is like uh, some kind of, um, I didn't know what to call it because it was just so many people that were saying the same thing. We had similar stories or, or similar backgrounds or similar things. And it was like, okay, this is not only happening to me, but it's happening to others. And so we have to, I agree, have to look beyond ourselves and figure out how we can work together for the greater good for all. Because it's Michigan, it's all over the it's all over the United States. It's Ohio, it's Florida, it's Kentucky, it's it's everywhere. And so I agree. Uh, go ahead, um, Robert, to you.
2: Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, you know, Jay, um, when you said earlier, get them off the streets and away from the people, we need to move with urgency with this. You got, uh, they said in the chat about the police officers who can't even be in court because they're already recognized as liars. hmm how do we get them off the streets and away from the people? And what, what we need to know is that the criminal system is the criminal. Mm-hmm. The criminal system is the criminal. The system, when you talk about systemic racism, systemic <laughs> racism, the, the, the system, you know, you think of a process, but the system is people, people, racist people. Ignorant people, people who have not evolved with the view of humanity as a whole, people. So when we say systemic racism, we're saying racist people. And so I am calling out those who really want to be involved, let's get our list going. Let's get our list going contact us, message us so we can hear about which people we need to highlight and say, get them out of office, Mm -hmm. fire them. We keep allowing them to work on our behalf, not on our behalf. We are paying them to
4: kill us. That's right. That's right. And and Reverend T, along that line, the sister I was on last week, she had an astronomical number of—I believe she said—black women in Detroit, yes, that, that were eligible to vote yeah, but aren't registered. 000. I mean, how much? Three hundred thousand, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my God! Do you know what what a what a seat change that would be?
2: That we about to change some seats.
4: You, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, people, people, you know, complain about you know uh, the white overseer and all that stuff. I'm like, well, I tell you what, the man didn't sneak into no office. The man been re been reelected what three times office. Yes. So you you you, I, I don't think that man cares if you call him the white overseer. I tell you what, <laughs> okay. you call him the white overseer from the streets, and he's listening to you call him the white overseer from the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so right. You know, you know, because because I remember a, a scene in the movie uh, uh, "Lean on Me" about uh, Joe Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. was, was is that New Jersey or Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a scene where they, the, one of his friends said, "You know, you know what that man is calling you right now, don't you?" He said, "Yeah, I know, nigger, and I know where he's calling me from too—the parking lot." So what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you can make a difference. And when I heard that figure, I got shocked. You know, you could clean up the city council, you clean up the mayor's office, you clean up the police. You could do something about those damn unions. You know, you mm-hmm. say, we're not rubber stamping anything the mayor says anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we're not doing it, you know.
3: Yeah, so, start Allie. Reading, I'm gonna say, start reading your city government documents.
2: <laughs> that right there. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: right. And also, Ali, what, what you said in the chat. Oh yeah, okay, so starting in our community, take it back
3: to that, starting with building our community, what does that look like? What does it look like to change this thing, change these things in the books that we talking about, right? It starts mm-hmm. with research, credible, looking into credible sources. So for example, Vera Institute of Justice is one, National Institute of Health, um, Heavy Health Institute of Psychology. Uh, as well as um, uh, there's a bunch of others, but um, start looking into these things. Um, Start researching your government, city government documents. The city charter documents is how the city is governed. That's how everything can happen, how police operate, council, everything. So um, what they're doing is gonna be in there. From that um, goes building out your campaign. So meeting with others in your community, strategizing on what your is gonna look like, what you wanna see on the ballot, who you wanna see in office. Um, and then from there, uh, protesting, meeting with your city council members, and then lobbying, which is meeting with elected officials. That is how it has to start. You have right. to start with the research to know what policies to put in place, to know what the numbers are saying and the facts. They can't say all this stuff is just feeling when it is exactly
1: fact. Right, create a, a movement work together, create a movement, because that movement will help not only your person, but it. Will, the bigger goal is to help everybody. If you can help everybody, it'll help your personal um, um, story too. Go ahead, Allie. I was gonna say, end on a beam of hope, how that, uh, has that ever happened or how that looked?
3: So for example, accountability for Dearborn, right? That is exactly mm-hmm. what we did. We did research build out our campaign, um, gather with people, protest at city council meetings. We did this for like two, a year and a half at city council meetings consistently with six to 12 people on Zoom calls or in person making statements about their life, talking about facts. We foia the city Freedom of Information Act request for 10 years of police data. And right now we're um, fighting for a civilian oversight commission. But we did that 2020, 2021 And as a result, we're seeing things like data transparency, police policies that are you can find on the city website now. Um, We're seeing, uh, you know, a co-response, they're talking about um, social worker and police officer co-response, we're fighting for no police response and all social workers.
0: Yeah.
1: So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Allie, for all that information. We need that because we need to figure out how to build movements, join together, collaborations to help the bigger, um, the bigger goal of it is to get people out. And um, thank you all. Thank you, Dion. Thank you, Lisa, for joining oh, us.
5: Thank you all.
1: All right. Go ahead, Lisa.
5: No, I, I'm just saying thank you so much. You've, I'm trying to take notes as Allie talks. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you guys, to uh, learn more about the Justice for Gerard story, and his, um, go to change.org slash Justice for Gerard. Please sign and share the petition. On next week, we're going to continue this community accountability uh Conversation with Mr. James Jones, mm. um, advocating for change uh, the criminal of the criminal justice system. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you guys next week.